Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome back to Let's Get To. We have a fun, packed episode as we start to really put a bow on the end of the Minor League Baseball 2019 season. Benjamin Hill, the writer from MILB.com and our Minor League Baseball Person of the Year for the Let's Get To Awards will be on. We're also going to be talking to some folks from Amarillo reacting to the Amarillo Sod Poodles Texas League win. And we're even going to talk a little vintage baseball. But I wanted to tell you all about my weekend because it was sports, sports, sports. I had computers going. I had phones going. It was just a blast. And, you know, beyond watching the Astros, beyond watching the University of Texas Longhorns, beyond watching the Dallas Cowboys, I also watched so many minor league baseball playoffs. We had a member of our team out at the Frontier League Championships And it was just fun because anybody who thinks that you can't get caught up in a minor league baseball game didn't watch me watching these games. And so I thought I would kind of just do shout outs to some of the different teams that won their leagues. And I'm going to start out talking a little bit about the Frontier League and, well, how shameful PS&J baseball are. So we talked earlier in the season about the fact that the Frontier League's River City Rascals are, for reasons that are really unknown, I guess, or or maybe widely debated, are being shut down. That they, as of this very second, won't exist anymore. And Scott McIntyre, who is, again, one of the main collaborators on our show and is a big fan, has done his best to get to as many games as he could before the thing finally shut down. Well... They ended up making it to the the Frontier League Championship Series, and it turns out that they went despite the fact that the ownership, PSNJ Baseball, paid for no hotel rooms. They didn't even pay for the bus ride. Despite all of this, despite as, as Scott compared it to in one of his posts, acting like the owner from the movie Major League – The Rascals got off the deck and won the championship. Their final act as a baseball team was to win the Frontier League. I mean, it doesn't get any more cinematic than that. How cool is that? Read a bunch of articles from and and quotes from the players and the coaches and the manager that they were just going to try to forget that six hours from now that they probably weren't going to exist, that they were just going to enjoy the championship. And there were a lot of teams that were enjoying the championships. I watched painfully. As the Round Rock Express were swept by the Sacramento River Cats, who went on to win the PCL and then later beat the International League's champion, the Columbus Clippers, for the AAA championship. We want to congratulate the Trenton Thunder, who won the Eastern League. And in the Southern League, you know, the Jackson Generals just do what they do. They won their third Southern League championship in four years. And then, as we mentioned, the Amarillo Sod Poodles, in their first year of existence, went through the gauntlet of the Texas League 
to win their first championship in that league. And what is that gauntlet? Well, one, they had to win three straight in Midland. And if you don't know about the championship tradition of the Midland Rockhounds, look it up. They lost the first two in Hodgetown, and then they played the final three in Midland, needed to win all three, and then they did. And then they were just dominated in the final game of the Texas League Championship against the Tulsa Drillers up until the eighth inning where they scratched out a run. And then the unthinkable happened where a grand slam is hit. And then what goes from being looking like a three to one pitcher's duel ends up being an eight to three romp and the Amarillo Sod Poodles take it home. So congratulations to the folks in Amarillo. Congrats to the Vizalia Rawhide for winning the California League and and again, sadly, we want to do a special shout out and congratulations. We're trying to stay positive. Congratulations to the Wilmington Blue Rocks. But it also means that a really great season for the Fayetteville Woodpeckers fell just short as they came one game shy of winning the Carolina League. Congratulations to the South Bend Cubs of the Midwest League for winning that championship. And congratulations to the Brooklyn Cyclones of the New York Penn League. And congratulations to the Hillsborough Hops of the Northwest League. And then we want to talk about drama. You want to talk about cinematic drama. That's what I do in my not baseball talking time is I make movies. I run a film festival. The Lexington Legends won the South Atlantic League in the 13th inning on Friday the 13th. I think... They are now bound to change their name to the Camp Crystal Lake Fighting Jasons because if you're going to win in 13 on Friday the 13th, it seems like the only logical and I would even say responsible thing to do. From the bleachers, the Let's Get To Game of the Week. And so for our From the Bleachers segment this week, we're going to get into the DeLorean. We're going to hit 88 miles an hour. We're going to go back in time to discuss the Vintage Baseball Association. And we're excited to welcome Andrew Nelson to the show to talk about it. Andrew, how's it going? Good. How are you, James? I'm good. I'm good. So before we start talking about some vintage baseball, just to give some frame of reference, what major, what major league baseball team makes you makes your heart break? So that way people have an understanding of where you're coming oh, from. Oh man, the Twins. <laughs> Lots of times. Well, here's hoping uh, from from the Astros fan perspective that you there's at least one more year you get you get your your heart broken. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah. talk to me a little bit about the Vintage Baseball Association, man. Like um, I've it was something that uh, whenever we we start talking on Facebook, I did a lot of research, and it it sounds like the coolest thing ever. Oh, it's a lot of fun. So um, I, until just earlier this month, lived in Rochester, Minnesota for the last few years. And uh, one of my coworkers told me that the local historical society does vintage baseball. He knew I was a baseball fan and I'm a history buff and figured it was something I'd be interested in. So uh, last year they had a game at a, at a state park where they have like a, a little recreated township in part of the park and they had a a game there on the 4th of July and I went and saw it and it was a blast. So I contacted the, uh, the guys on Facebook was like, Hey, how can I get involved in this? And uh, I started playing this year and, um, the, we play by 1860s rule, 1860 rules. Um, there are several different rule sets that, uh, that people play by. So it looks in broad strokes, very similar to modern baseball, but there are some key differences. 
Um, the first thing you'll notice if you go to a vintage baseball game is that there's no gloves. Uh, yeah, and it's um, our guy who's the referee and kind of uh, or the umpire rather, and uh, kind of our organizer, and he's likes to point out at first that uh, it's not because we're just being tough guys or anything. Gloves hadn't been invented yet. So the first baseball gloves weren't invented, weren't invented until 1875. And then they were just like a, a plain leather glove. They weren't padded or anything. Um, so no gloves. Uh, you can, an out is not just a ball caught in the air, but a ball caught on the first bound, even if it's foul. Um, if you catch a, a foul tip as a catcher, on the first bound, that still counts as an out. Um, so it, it changes the game quite a bit in that respect. Um, there are no called balls. So um, that that's another big difference. And called strikes are somewhat limited. Uh, the pitcher is expected to throw a hittable ball, and they, they only throw underhanded. Um, so most of the time batters are going to make contact. Um, you ca- you could strike out, but before you get called strikes, you're warned by the umpire that you're ignoring hittable pitches. And then they would start calling strikes on you. If you keep ignoring hit- what the umpire deems a hittable pitch. Um, field dimensions are pretty much the same. Uh, the, you know, the bases are, are 90 feet apart. Um, instead of the, the sort of house shaped home plate that you see in a modern field, we have a metal disc instead. And the pitcher also pitches from a metal disc. It's not, um, raised on a mound. So it's level with the rest of the field. Um, Let's see. What are some of the other main differences? Well, I know like I was reading a lot of them, like a lot of them kind of accompany like Civil War reenactments and things like that. So, I mean, is there a like are y'all wearing the uniforms as well? I mean, is how how detailed do you get as far as making it look like an 1860 baseball game? Absolutely. So we do have um, period style uniforms that we wear. Uh, everybody is expected to provide their own black pants and wear black shoes, but we, uh, we have sort of, um, a linen long sleeve shirt that we wear that has kind of a bib with our logo on it. And we wear, um, vintage style wool hats and, uh, sort of a, a tie, cravat tie sort of thing. Um, so it gets pretty hot. <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> <in the> summer. <laughs> Uh, we, we got to play a game on, uh, on the local collegiate wood bat, um, teams field this summer, uh, in the middle of July and it was just hot as heck. Um, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. It really gets you into the flavor of it and, uh, the period feel and, uh, our umpires dress up in like a suit and a top hat and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like no, it sounds like a hoot. And, and you know, one of the things that um, I want to ask about next is I, I have to imagine that, um, you know, how big is it? Because I got to imagine that communities is important to doing this as it is just playing baseball by a different set of rules from a different era of the game. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, I had no idea that this thing existed or even that it was so big before I got involved in it. Uh, there are um, a ton of clubs around here. Um, we have uh, 13 clubs within about a two-hour drive from us in southern Minnesota and western Wisconsin. Um, so there's quite a big community around it. Um, and locally... We, uh, the, the roosters, the club I play with are involved with events at the, uh, the Olmstead County Historical Society where we're based out of. And then, uh, we also do, uh, we support two local youth baseball teams and, and we'll go out. And, um, uh, so we sponsor those teams and then we'll go out and provide sort of a lesson on 1860 baseball. And then we throw a, a root beer float party for them at the end of their season. Um, and we've been involved in some other community events too. We, we were um, part of a cancer awareness fundraiser earlier this year. Our, our kind of chief organizer is a cancer survivor. So that's a, a big thing for us. Um, yeah. We get involved in a lot of stuff. There's uh Oh, we have a, um, police versus fire department baseball game that we host every year too. So we, we teach them the 1860 rules and help them run that game and, and fill in if they need, need extra players and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it again, just sounds like one of those cool things I didn't know about. I mean, and, and to think that this association has been around for, you know, almost 25 years founded in, oh, in yeah. 96. So, um, you know, how many games t- typical in a season do you play and how long is the season? Does it mirror the MLB season or is it longer? Or shorter. It's pretty close. Um, I, I think we got started up in May this year. Let me check on that. Uh, we're wrapping up our season this weekend, actually. Um, we have a game on Saturday. So it's pretty close to the regular baseball season. And um, we play a game about every other weekend. Uh, it's not quite every weekend, but it, it's pretty often during the summer. Um, and it just depends on what we can organize with other clubs. Uh, lots of times we're involved in town festivals and things like that. Um, so it's, it's all very sort of uh, gentlemen's agreement sort of things. Yeah, everybody gets together and figures out, you know, when can we get together? When can we do something fun in a town? Um, things like that. Well, we will definitely will include the uh, website in the interview and the text of the interview so people can find a club near them and, and get out and support it, particularly starting next year. So uh, kind of as we wrap up then, um, let's go back to your twins. The, the, I, I would like to point out that I was the only member of the staff of our show that did pick them to win the central back in March. Yeah. Um, how are you feeling about them? How do you, how do you see the playoffs going forward with, uh, with Minnesota? Oh, they're, uh, <laughs> they're keeping it more interesting than I wish they were. For you know sure. what I love about baseball? Every baseball fan feels like you do. Ask me the same question. I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. is anyone confident at this time of year? Maybe not. I don't know. Right. Like your, your Astros are, are sitting on top. They're, they're in a great position, but it's hard not to feel like everything could fall apart at any time. Any moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think they're going to hang on and win the division. Um, they, they got through that last Cleveland series and they took two out of three, which to be honest, I would have been happy with one out of three. 
Um, so I think they're in good shape. They've just got the uh, the White Sox and Tigers and Royals left for the rest of the season, and they should be able to beat up on them. Key keyword being should. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I, it looks like they're going to make the playoffs unless something absolutely horrible and unforeseeable happens. And, and uh, that's great because it's been a while and um, you know, it's been a rough 10 years as a Twins fan. Pretty much. <laughs> well, I'm going to get up there next year uh, in July uh, to see, I've never been to target field. So we're going to go look oh, at some yeah. other teams. So I'm excited, but I do think that's, what's been interesting about the remainder of the MLB series season period is none of the contenders. I don't think, the vast majority of the contenders don't play a team over 500 for the last 11 games. It's going to be very interesting to see yeah. how that shakes out. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how they look once they get facing competitive teams again, once the playoffs start up. Yeah, that's always the hard thing. But, Andrew, again, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, Andrew Nelson, he's he plays for the Vintage Baseball Association and uh, – we will definitely, hopefully, get some pe- more people involved across, across the country because this sounds about the coolest thing I've ever heard of. All right. Thanks for having me, Jim. And so we're back on Let's Get To, and our game of the week is actually a game of last week. And we're real excited to have Michael from the Sod Pod back on to talk about the Amarillo Sod Poodles and their really Cinderella Texas League Championship win. Michael, have you guys relaxed yet? Are you still celebrating? No, we're still celebrating. <laughs> we're definitely on cloud nine. Um, like you said, some Cinderella story, you couldn't put it in, in a more better term or better fashion. Um, the way the season rolled out, um, you know, being named the, the best name in minor league baseball to uh, Welly, our our manager, getting um, Texas League Manager of the Year to winning the first half to um, looking like we might possibly get knocked out of the playoffs, you know, first round down um, two games to none against Midland and having to go to their house and win three in a row, which obviously we accomplished um, all the way up to coming to game five against the Tulsa Drillers to win it. It's just been it's been unbelievable. Um, just the hype has has carried us on this cloud for quite a while now. Yeah, it's been fun to watch, uh, even from Austin. I, you know, I've ordered my gear, so I guess I'll get some stuff in the mail soon. But I want to talk about Taylor Tram- Taylor Trammell's home run, and it was the most like I was afraid he's going to get ejected. So you know, he he <laughs> he got. So I I was watching on MLB TV, which means I had the Drillers uh, broadcast and. Um, even the drillers guys were like, you know, that was definitely uh, a ball and, you know, bases loaded. You get a walk there. You, you get a, you get a run closer. The idea that he then put, well, I guess it was the next pitch over the wall in center field was the ultimate baseball, the natural moment. Oh, I'm absolutely 100%. Um, and Taylor Trammell being, um, for those of you that don't know, a newer addition to the San Diego organization. Um, he came in the three-way trade that involved um, Yusel Puig and Logan Allen from San Diego. So um, Taylor Trammell is a top five prospect in the Padres organization that we just got at the trade deadline a couple months ago. Um, so for what he's contributed, and and again, he was ranked the number one prospect in the Cincinnati Reds um, organization before we um, luckily um, got Tremel, but what he's put in on the field, the heart that he's given and, and the spirit that's pumped up Amarillo and to hit that home run, I mean, that changed the whole trajectory of the end of the season for the Sod Poodles. 
You know, and I want to go back to the beginning with you guys, because it does seem like, you know, we talked about it when you were on last, the, the initial reception to some of the people from Amarillo to the name, I feel like the name was way more popular outside of Amarillo than it was to some, and then to have it kind of grow on them and then to really have it like a great attendance and then to cap it off with, with one of the Texas league, could you have imagined anything better? To be honest with you, I really couldn't. Um, again, this just goes back to the fairy tale story of how everything's fallen into place. Um, the popularity of the name, the popularity of the mascot, uh, the first half champs, Willie getting again manager of the year, skipper of the year for the Texas League, um, to go into the playoffs, to having over 440,000 people um, come into Hodgetown and downtown Amarillo, the support that the Sod Poodles have gotten locally. Um, and nationally, honestly, I mean, you know, and, and statewide, um, I mean, we're talking and we're hundreds of miles away and we're talking about the sod poodles. Um, no, I mean, it, I just, I couldn't have put this together. I mean, you can't write a story like this. It's just something that the baseball gods hand you and to have an inaugural season like this, um, it, it, I, it'll forever be in, engraved and sketched in my memory. It's funny because, you know, speaking of baseball gods and whatnot, like that last weekend, I had a couple of teams earmarked that either I'm a fan of already or that we had had good relationships because of the show. And so I've got like several computers pulled up with MILB TV and I'm flipping between like Longhorn game and, and, and Astros stuff and, and to watch the woodpeckers go down in heartbreaking fashion and then to see round rock get swept out because everybody had moved up to Houston. So it is almost like my savior was the sod poodles. And I told my <laughs> wife, I said, you know, I'm going to watch this game today. And, and then so to see them, I mean, really to get up off the deck, they, the, 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 the Tulsa really pitching dominated them for, for eight mm-hmm. innings. Like there's no other way to describe yeah. it. Yep. No. Yeah. You're exactly right. Um, and to say we were underdogs would not be the proper term. But like I said, first round, you know, um, first round of the playoffs, we're playing the Midland Rock Hounds, a double-A affiliate of the um, Oakland Athletics. First two games at home in Amarillo, Hodgetown, fantastic atmosphere. Um, we, we go down two games. So that puts us our back against the wall to win three in Midland. We did it. Um, Tulsa being an just a fantastic team with the, with the Dodgers organization. Um, we knew it was going to be a battle. And I, I told Jenna, I told her from game one, I said, this is going to go five games. This is going to be a battle. Um, and I, it was, it was back and forth, back and forth. And um, I mean, fortunately, uh, you know, we, we came out victorious in the end. And this weekend for me was, I was on cloud nine and not, not only baseball wise, but, um, Jen and I got married this weekend. Congratulations. So so, All right. There was so many emotions everywhere, um, from, from baseball to getting married. And, um, you know, I think this is the greatest time of year because, uh, we're in like the heat of, of baseball and baseball playoffs and football starting up. And so it was yeah. an all around great weekend. And I know that you're uh, a Cowboys fan and all of a sudden they look good. I know. I, I mean, know. I mean, they I, might go to the Super Bowl. Wood, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I won't say that until, you know, we're maybe one game out from that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Cowboys have put it together. I was obviously worried like many with Zeke maybe possibly holding out, but looks like he's putting it together and we can maybe make something of this season. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and give you my prediction two weeks in. I do believe that the Cowboys will unfortunately lose the Super Bowl to the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, but I'll um, take it. Wouldn't you take it? Like, honestly, 
I mean, yeah, if the Cowboys go to the Super Bowl, that's fantastic. But I can't sit here and lie and say that I'm not a huge Kansas City fan and that I'm not a huge Patrick Mahomes fan. Um, we just got our Patrick Mahomes jersey in last week. Oh, wow. Um, we ordered we, we ordered some MB Pat jerseys. Um, huge Texas Tech fan. So um, I've, I've been following Patrick since, you know, the beginning, um, you know, back in the Battle of Patrick and Baker back in Texas Tech and Lubbock here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if it was a Cowboys-Kansas City, you know, if, if they were going at it for Super Bowl rights, um, I don't think I could complain at all. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you could. Well, real quick then. So what do you think that we're going to see? I mean, this is the hard part of um, this is the hard part of minor league baseball, right? You don't know what's coming next year. But what, how do you feel like Sod Poodle is going to be a year in? Is it going to be more an established part of Amarillo culture or are you going to have to resell the whole concept, do you think? Yeah. So no, I, I think, I think it's been sold. Um, I don't think there's going to be any reselling. Um, I think everyone's bought in. I think it's going to be just as big, if not bigger next year. Um, as far as the buy-in with the team, as far as the sod poodles go, um, we're so blessed to be a part of the Padres organization and they are, the, the Padres are stacked. I mean, you look at high A, single A, double, triple. Um, you look at who's in the Padres organization right now, from Tatis to Hosner to Machado. Um, I mean, if you just look all through the Padres organization, we've got several, several good years left. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's as baseball fans and as realists, I think you and I can both agree that we can look at a team and say, you know, Hey, we're going to have some down years. You know, I'm obviously a huge Texas Rangers fan, um, but we've got some down years ahead of us. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's the case for the Padres. And I don't think that's the case for double um, a Amarillo. Well, before we slide out, cause I definitely want to talk to you beginning next year. Uh, but before we head out on, on, on close the book on this season, why don't you give me your, a couple of your end of season predicts. Who do you think is going to win the world series? Who do you have as your ace, your, AL, your Cy Young, your MVP, all that good stuff. So, you know, I was really, I was really pushing for Fernando Tatis. Um, I know he was in the MVP talks before he got injured. Um, so, you know, I was really pushing for, for a Tatis junior, um, uh, MVP or rookie of the year rather. Um, however, with him getting hurt, I know that's not going to happen. MVP wise, I don't know. I think it's so wide open right now. I, I, I would, I would hate to even say something right now. Um, you know, I thought Yelich had a great chance. Oh man. Yeah. That sucks. You, you know, with the injuries, um, world series wise, I mean, I'm, I'm going to skip MVP right now and go straight to world series talk. Um, just because you're going to love this. Um, but I, I think it's Houston. Um, the Astros are looking so good. Uh, Justin Verlander, of course, you know, throwing his third no hitter. I mean, the pitching staff at the trade deadline in Houston only got better. Yeah, it didn't um, suck. That's for sure. Yeah. And so um, that's my favorite to win the World Series right now. Um, that's who I'm pulling for. Um, you got to pull for a Texas team as far as I'm concerned. But um, yeah, I mean, how how do you feel about that prediction and, and who are you looking at for well, MVP and maybe rookie of the year? It's always funny for me because, you know, as you know what it's like to be a fan of a team, no one – I everybody thinks their own team is one trip up away. I think in baseball is weird. I get real confident with my football team, my baseball team. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop all the time. (laughs) And so, you know, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I think I feel really good about them winning the world series. Harold Reynolds, 
said the only way they don't is if they forget to get on the bus to go to the park. Like that's the only way they don't win it. Um, uh, that's where I'm at. <laughs> you know, I think the Cy Young, I think Verlander is going to get the Cy Young for the AL. Uh, I think the no hitter will be the thing that puts him over Garrett Cole. Cause I think their numbers yeah. are so it's the same. I think Jordan Alvarez is the rookie of the year and it's not in, I think it might be unanimous. And I think Trout's going to still win the MVP, but I do think it begs the conversation of, can you be out a month and on a team that's losing and have stats just a little bit better than a guy whose at-bats count a lot more like Alex Bregman? So that, Absolutely. That's, Absolutely. That, that's the thing for me. Yeah, and um, you know, and as far as the World Series goes, I, I I think I totally agree that they'll only lose it if they don't get on the bus. Um, you know, L.A. much like um, my my beloved Texas Rangers have lost two World Series in a row. Um, it's a feat to go to back to back World Series. Um, it would be even a larger feat to go um, to the World Series three times in a row. Um, however, if they do, I, I do hope they lose. Um, so they lose three World Series. <laughs> so <laughs> so like take some weight I, off my Rangers shoulders. <laughs> I, made the, I made the comparison that the Los Angeles Dodgers might be the modern day version of the 1990s Buffalo Bills. Uh, hey, I, I, I like it. I but like you know, it. you know, you know that what keeps me up at night is that the Astros get to the World Series against Atlanta, and Dallas Keuchel just like shuts the door. And I would just <laughs> be like, if I was writing a screenplay, that's how it would end. So, right, yeah, no, I, I think Houston is the surefire favorite. Um, I'm pulling for him, just Justin Verlander. Um, again, you know, right there, if if he's not the Cy Young winner, um, I. I do think it would probably be a shame, but, um, you know, more power to him, more power to the, the Astros and Astros organization. And and you've got, speaking of minor league, you've got, um, you've got a bright future ahead. The, uh, the minor league system for the Astros is pretty stacked. It's definitely a fun time to, to look at that and, and, and to kind of dive into it. Um, but Michael from the sod pod, thanks again for being on. Let's get to, and can we get you back on right before the season starts and give us our, own, our Amarillo inside preview? Absolutely. Absolutely. Go, go Astros, a focus on H town hardball. So we're back on let's get to in our go, go Astros segment. And with us as always is Andy Tom Chesson. And it's always funny to just do these segments because I feel like I could start each one with what a difference a week makes. Well, it's um, it's a time of year uh, where things are starting to settle out. You're starting to see who your division winners are going to be in some of the more contested divisions. And for you know teams like the Yankees and the Astros and the Dodgers, it's just about trying to get as healthy as possible and still winning games. The good news is those three teams are still involved in trying to have a home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So, um, and that's, I think going to be um, a fun race because I think that puts it in a situation where you can take your foot off the pedal. If you're at AJ Hinch um, a little bit, but you still want to win and you still want your guys to achieve their goals and, all that other fun stuff that goes into the close of the season. So uh, it should be a fun last week. So let's talk about some personal goals real quick. I think we can uh, we can assume that Jordan Alvarez will win the Rookie of the Year, and I would say probably unanimously. How um, Bregman getting in the fight for MVP and then Cole and Verlanders coming out of the Cy Young, how, how involved should A.J. Hinch be making sure that those guys get enough playing time to accomplish those goals? 
And do you think it would matter to us as fans if the ultimate goals fall short, like Verlander winning the Cy Young? I guess either way, we're going to have an Astro win the Cy Young. But how much do you think that that will matter to fans if the ultimate goal doesn't pay off? Um, you know, I don't know that it matters that much because it really depends on which goal you're talking about, too. I know getting to 300 strikeouts somehow for Verlander would be a big deal. Um, for Cole to get to 3,000, um, or excuse me, reverse that. Uh, for Verlander to get to 3,000 this year is probably a bigger deal for him. Um, he's got, you know, one more start at home. It doesn't look like he's going to get there, but he certainly should get it this year. Uh, I, you know, you and I were talking when um, Verlander got pulled after six innings and 87 pitches in his last start, kind of wondering what was going on. And, and Hinch has basically said, look, I'm, I'm ramping him back a little bit. He's going to get this next start um, on Sunday against the angels will be his last full start prior to the playoffs. And he'll get one more start against the angels uh, late next week, but it'll be maybe a five inning appearance just to keep him on a schedule. Um, now, you know, the interesting thing is, well, what if he's thrown a no hitter in, in those first five innings, what do you do then? Um, so, you know, fun stuff to watch. I don't think winning those things matters one way or the other at the end of the day to the fans. They're nice to have for the players. Um, the franchise certainly would like to have another rookie of the year. And I think, you know, like you've said, that's pretty much sewn up in Alvarez. Cy Young is pretty much going to be in Houston again, um, like it was when Keiko won it last. Uh, Clemens before him and Scott before him. Um, so, you know, good to have that back. And either one of those, my personal choice would be Verlander, uh, A, because I think he wins based on the preponderance of the evidence, so to speak. But I also think it's great for the Astros because he's actually going to be here next year. Um, I don't know that I can say the same thing for Garrett Cole. Um, and that's always rough, awarding a player a Cy Young in a different uniform, maybe an Angels uniform next year. Uh, God, I that, would, that, that would probably be less fun for the fans. Uh, Astros Twitter is already – uh, they should pay whatever they have to to get it, re-sign him, um, completely ignoring the realities of the luxury tax and uh, other payroll ramifications. And it would, you know, that it would preclude signing Springer or Correa or literally anybody else ever. Um, so, you know, I'd like to say young to stay here with Verlander. Um, and then your MVP question uh, with Bregman, I don't think he's done enough. I, I think it's great that he's in the conversation, and I think it certainly peaked up when uh, Trout um, shut, was shut down for the rest of the year last week. Um, but I just his the gap is just a little bit too far. Um, batting average gap's a little bit too far. Home run app is or the home run gap is probably where he's going to lose most of the votes. It's an interesting conversation, though, because you're basically saying, do I value Trout's first half of the season more than I value Bregman's second half of the season? Um, and I think right now Trout probably had a better first half than Bregman had a second half. But, you know, you're not going to go wrong with either two of those guys. I don't see the Astros sweeping those awards, though. And they can never sweep because poor A.J. Hinch can never win manager of the year because <laughs> right. your team wins 100 games a year. There's no chance you're ever going to be manager of the year uh, unless you went undefeated. Well, I mean, that, that. And I think Aaron Boone's going to win manager of the year because they're going to ignore the 38 games or whatever it is against the Blue Jays and Orioles and just credit him for keeping that team afloat with all the injuries. 
Um, I well, think it's, it's certainly a, a boon haha, to the <laughs> Yankees, anybody who plays with the Yankees, um, because they automatically get votes just from their proximity to New York um, or the East Coast. I think the Dodgers have that built in to some extent. I think for whatever random reason, the Cubs have that to a little bit of an extent. But the Red Sox and Yankees, absolutely, just, you might as well, you know, it's kind of like college football at the beginning of the year. There are a couple of schools, Notre Dame being probably the most egregious of those, that just automatically are in the top ten no matter what they have done in the past or what they're projected to do. You're just a top ten team. The Yankees and Red Sox and Dodgers start off with, plus points in the polls for individual awards. And so anything they do on top of that, they're just ahead of the game. Um, so, yeah, I, that's Aaron Boone is certainly going to win. And you know, take it up and we'll get away from the Yankees. They're a 100-win team. I mean, it's glad that, I'm glad that they finally got there. Uh, it's been a rough, <laughs> rough time being a fan of that franchise. Right. Well, and to, to your point, and, and I don't want to get – you know, and we've talked about ESPN's issues before, but one of the, I think the number one thing they had and most surprising things of the 2019 season was that the, the Yankees hit all those home runs. And I'm like, why they are a team that for the last two years has done nothing but hit home runs or strike out. Why is that a surprising thing that that happened? In a park, mind you, that it's pretty easy to hit home runs in. Uh, that's, you know, one of those other media bias things. I don't think it's just ESPN. I, I think it, it pervades everything. Nobody talks about um, Yankee Stadium being a plus offensive park, but you still hear 10-run uh, field jokes about Minute Maid, even though that park has played neutral literally for the past 15 years. Um, it, it, so it's, you know, it, it, it's good to be in New York, I guess. It's especially funny because they still haven't even hit – because I think Minnesota is still leading them in overall home runs this year. That, to me, is the surprising story of the season. Yeah, and how you overlook the job that the Minnesota front office has done putting that team together um, and that that manager on the field being able to take what is a not great collection of talent and make them into a team that's going to win their division um, and going to be a pretty formidable first-round opponent's for either the Astros or the Yankees, um, it, it's kind of criminal the way that they get discounted. Well, and back to back to our local nine. So I know it's it's only been one game back. Anything to think about as far as Correa's performance? I know he went what zero for three, but seemed like he was moving pretty well in the field. Um, I, you can't. I mean, it's he his rehab start was one game in Round Rock. Um, he got three at bats or four at bats against a pit, three at bats of his first appearance back in Houston um, against a pitcher that historically does very very well against him. Um, you know, it's kind of a rough rehab, and it really hinges treating um, Thursday's game or two, excuse me, Wednesday's game as his one of his rehab starts. Um, excuse me, that was all the way back in Tuesday. It's been a really long week. It has been. Um, Tuesday was a, kind of a rehab start, even though it was in uh, in the Major League Park against the Rangers. Uh, he would he got Wednesday off, wasn't going to play. Uh, we'll be back in the lineup tonight uh, against the Angels, and they'll play back to back. He'll probably have Sunday off, and then they'll start treating him like a regular again. Um, I don't think you can play, make too much of his appearance because of that. I, I think timing—it's still the hardest thing to do in sports—is hit a round ball with a round stick um, that, you know, when that ball is traveling hundred miles an hour. Um, so 
I'm more encouraged that he was able to field balls. He fell down a couple times, didn't stay there, wincing in pain, um, seemed to move around well. So that's, you know, I, I think all positive signs there. Uh, and I think we all know he can hit. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a question about when, that he can hit. It's just a matter of him getting his timing back. And fortunately, these last nine games, he should get a lot of at-bats. Hopefully, too, with, uh, with and, and not against great pitching the rest of the way out. Speaking of um, moving around with ease, I have been – I've obviously been pretty impressed and, and happy with Kyle Tucker's performance since his getting called back up. But he really does move easy in the outfield. You know, he made a – he robbed, a, which I would probably think was a harder home run to rob than the one Reddick robbed against Texas earlier and did it with with a real ease that and, and nonchalance that you don't see – out of somebody making that play, particularly someone who's still, you know, a rookie. Yeah, it's a little bit of a blessing and a curse, right? Because fans like to see guys hustle. <laughs> right. Oh, Reddick hustles. He's hustle. He's got hustle face. Um, Tucker absolutely does not have hustle face. And, and he, it's very calm, even keeled. Doesn't appear to be aware that what he did was difficult. Um, just, you know, kind of threw the ball in. He reminds me of a much more refined Hunter Pence. Uh, <laughs> right. Just everything's a little bit funky. Um, the swing is pretty, but getting there, there's a real weird elbow hitch that he has, and um, throwing does not exactly look like a smooth motion um, to my eyes. But he seems to get the job done, um, and he seems to be a pretty adequate right fielder. Uh, certainly, you know, good enough to be in the major leagues. So it's it's an, he, he's in an interesting position. I still think he gets the last bench spot over uh, Abraham Toro uh, joining Miles Straw on the five-man bench for the uh, five-game series in the ALDS. So it'll be interesting to see how he's used or if he's used. Um, he does provide some power off the bench, which is nice, left-handed bat off the bench, which is nice. Um, he's got, you know, just everything in front of him. So it's kind of, it's got to be pretty exciting, uh, place for him to be. Not that you would know it by looking at his face. (laughs) Not that you'd have any idea. So, you know, we're not going to talk again until the playoff matchups are set. Um, because we might, we, we, we never know. We might go to 163rd game for some of these. What do you think as Astros fans, we should be looking for in these last, you know, eight or nine ball games, um, against, really bad opponents, including seven of them against the LA angels. Um, you know, I think you should, you need to look, you need to see uh, solid starting performances, even if they only go five innings, um, Grinky and Miley, especially you want to see that they're in a rhythm. Uh, Miley's got more to prove than obviously any of the other people in the rotation. Um, and everybody's got two more starts except for a bullpen game on the 28th that they've already kind of designated as, you know, probably Jose Quitty and um, Fromber and then whoever else can pitch that day. Um, you'd like to see the offense take care of business early, not leave teams hanging around. Um, there's no reason with the way the Angels have basically shut down for the season. Um, I, I was looking, and I think Otani's out, Trout's out, Upton's out. Their second baseman, um, whose name I would butcher if I said it's like Refugio or something like that, uh, he's out. Um, they're playing their AAA team, and their AAA team wasn't that great. Uh, so outside of Calhoun and Pujols, I don't know that they prevent any challenges for an offense. Now I'm going to say that, and they're going to win two out of these last seven somehow. Um, and then you've got um, 
you know, the two against the Mariners, Cole and Granke, and the Mariners put up a fight against the Astros, especially that little round guy, Vogelbach. Um, I say little, he's probably 6'2", but he's also 6'2", he's also 6'2 wide, so I have appreciation for that kind of um, physique, so to speak. Um, you just, you need to see wins. They've got nine games left. I, I have them going seven and two. And that last, that bullpen game is one of those losses. So somebody else is going to take a loss somewhere along the lines. Um, I think you should also be looking for a lot of substitutions um, because that means we're pretty much in control of the games and we can start playing Toro and Tucker and Mayfield and Stubbs and, and emptying out our bullpen just a little bit. It's a, it's a really interesting balancing act that AJ Hinch has to um, manage because you're still in contention for the best record in baseball. Uh, matter of fact, you're in charge right now. You've got a game and a half lead, true lead on the Yankees. And then um, I think two games over the Dodgers and you're on pace to win 106 and you still haven't clinched your division. And I was talking to my friend who's a Yankees fan this morning by email. Um, and he was, you know, giving me grief because we won a hundred games and you still haven't clinched your division. What's the problem? Well, the Yankees just clinched their division yesterday uh, with 100 wins. It's a ridiculous season when you have three teams that are going to win 100 games. Um, You have two other teams in the American League, Minnesota and Oakland, and really Tampa, too, that are excellent teams. Uh, Maybe not the class of the Yankees and the Astros and the Dodgers, but just very, very good teams. You've got the Braves and uh, probably the Cardinals over in the National League as well uh, that are just such good teams. And then you've got such crap at the bottom of these divisions, uh, teams playing 30% winning baseball, um, that it's just it's bizarre that you have teams that are just now clinching their divisions and they're looking at their 101st win. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, that is a historically weird season. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting how Hinch manages the need to rest guys, the need to guys, the need to get guys healthy. And I still think at the end of the day, if you make uh, AJ Hinch um, choose between my guys have their timing down and our team is healthy and we're in the best possible position going into playoffs versus going hellbent for leather to get the best record, he's going to err on the side of having a healthy team. And we saw last year what having a healthy team can do for you because the Astros weren't healthy going into that matchup against the Red Sox and they lost two games to four. And in fact, to your point, flipped home field advantage and still couldn't hold on to it because they did win the first right. game in Boston. Like they made it. Absolutely. Move. And I was going to ask, um, I was going to ask a depressing question about Aaron Sanchez, but we're going to hold on to that because I was scrolling through earlier. And again, the worldwide leader doing what it does um, has basically written an article that says the reason why the Dodgers will – and it, first of all, it's lazy because they've reposted an article from about six weeks ago – that the reason why the Dodgers are going to beat the Astros in October is because the Dodgers are better against high velocity than the Astros are. Based on what – I'm sure they've come up with a metric. Oh, they, they came up with a metric that the, the Dodgers have a higher OPS against 95-plus than the Astros do. Okay. Um, and since the Astros throw hard, it plays right into the Dodgers' hands. Well, except Green Key and Miley don't. 
I mean, I mean that just missing that missing that obvious thing. I don't think Greenkey can throw more than ninety-two miles an hour anymore, and Miley never could throw ninety-two miles an hour. Um, I, I let's put it this way: I will take my chances against high velocity with Springer, Altuve, Brantley, Bregman, Alvarez, and Guriel, who are all pretty good fastball hitters. Um, and that's not even mentioning Carlos Correa, who, if he gets his timing back, also a pretty decent guy against fastball pitchers. Um, okay, so great. Torinos might not be able to handle it. I'll live with that. <laughs> right. Well, and that's and, you know, and, and that's the thing. And, and my question to them is, how fast does Kenley Jansen throw? Uh, fast it, enough to blow another save last week. Yeah. Um, so you know, just it, it, it's. Marwin Gonzalez, if he did nothing else in his life, broke Gilly Jansen. So you're just, saying that? So if we're doing a mathematical, mathematical, uh, a mathematical uh, equation, Marwin Gonzalez is to Kenley Jansen as as um, Albert Pujols is to our favorite Astros closer. Is that is that Brett what you're Lynch. saying? Although Lidge, so Lidge rebounded, but yeah. I mean, good for good for Jansen. He, Jensen's having having a decent season. He's blown a few saves, but um, I actually think he would rather face the Astros than the Twins, just because Marwin's sitting on that bench. <laughs> You're exactly right. So listen, we're yeah, not going to. And just one more point about that article being lazy. It's really interesting um, because the only reason they're picking the Dodgers is because they have the best record. I don't think the Dodgers make it out of the National League playoffs. Well, first of all, I don't. Do they have the best record right now? I think that the Astros are a half game up on everybody. Um, the Astros are actually a game and a half up on the Dodgers, and they're a game and a half up on the Dodgers. They're two games up on the Dodgers as we sit right now. They're a game. They're half a game okay. up on the yeah, Yankees. They're a true. They're a true game and a half up on the Yankees because we have the tiebreaker. And if the Astros and Dodgers finish with the same record, then oddly enough. Um, Astros also have the tiebreaker because Major League Baseball, in its really archaic way of doing things, decided the first tiebreaker in that instance would be record against your own division. Because <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Not common opponents. Not common opponents or, or even like interleague play or something. Your own nope, division. Nope, nothing. No, just how, how, how did you do against your division? Well, well, in the Astros, we know have cleaned up. Uh, no, I think it. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's going to be a fun rest of the season, and we're going to talk again. We're going to talk again on Wild Card Tuesday, basically. So we will drop our first episode in the morning of the Wild Card. So we'll talk a day earlier. But um, I really feel like I think your prediction is right. I think seven and two is what we're looking at, and I think that does get us home field advantage throughout the playoffs at seven and two. Yeah, um, and you know we're going to be busy trying to set up Yankees pitchers um, since then. We've already got German down. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to. Wow, we're, we're that, that is what my Yankees friend accused me of this morning that we have been um, conspiring with Major League Baseball to get his pitchers suspended. Is your Yankees is your Yankee friend also a Baylor Bears fan? Because I got that accusation about Art Bryles as a Longhorn fan too. So I guess that's just what I, mean, I do. It's, it's, it's the same level of conspiracy, but yeah, that somehow Major League Baseball doesn't want the Yankees to win, which is the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. <laughs> ever heard in your life. All right, Andy, we'll talk to you in about about eight days in uh, Go Strohs. Go Strohs. Have fun in California. Yeah, I will. I'm going to go see the Troutless. I guess I guess I have to throw Trout back. I won't have him on the line. Oh, it's a bad pun. We'll talk to you soon. And now, the Big League Chew. 
And I on the majors. And the big league chew is back. And we're joined again from Gary C. Warren, who is, I got to imagine, still. Well, I mean, are you breathing in a paper bag? Or are you relaxed and fun? Because what a way for the Cardinals to get that win last night. Oh, my gosh. I have to admit, my blood pressure was so high, I was kind of getting a headache. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, am I going to have a stroke here? Uh, <laughs> my wife was in the other room, and like, I stopped, and I was like, yeah, the Cardinals just blew that save. And she was like, I gathered it by the cursing and yelling you were doing at the TV. <laughs> She's like, I'm uh, not a know, detective, but I can tell. Exactly. You know, but all things considered, like, I don't know what is better. To be in a spot like you, where your lead is so far ahead, you're like, okay, we can concentrate on the postseason, rest up a little bit, you know, and the games don't mean as much as opposed to right now, these games being great. You know, they're fun when you win it, and when you don't, it's crushing. So I don't know which I prefer. It's weird. I, I ended up with a Twitter conversation with a Dodgers fan, and he was like, yeah, even though we lost, Game 5 was the, was the best World Series game I've ever seen. And I was like, how can you think that? Because... Yeah, that would have been excruciating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, in uh, 2011, when the cards came back and won that game six before they came back, it was single handedly the worst game I've ever seen in my life. I was crushed. I couldn't believe it. I was ready to give up on baseball. And then they came back and it was the greatest game I've ever seen. (laughs) You know, it's like (laughs) it, it all rests on, you know, I mean, I think once time has passed, you can look back at something and say, man, that was a great series or that was a great game. You know, but I certainly I don't I think that's a decade before you can do that. I agree. I agree completely. So I want to go talk about a couple of different pitchers in in that are heading into the postseason, both of which are on teams that are have pretty much their path laid out for them. And first, um, is Kenley Jansen for the Dodgers broken or is just just a, an aberration? I think he's broken. Uh, it, it's you know, it's hard to pitch at that kind of level in that position for a long time. You know, if you look at the hall of fame, that's why there are so few guys in there, you know, like a Lee Smith, you know, and then, and you got to think that things are different guys are throwing harder now. Uh, I, I think that he's just been overworked and I think he's done. Uh, going back to the 2017 world series, um, our, our Astros correspondent said that Marwin Gonzalez broke him in game two. And he, he's just, it's like what Pujols did to Brad Lidge. It just, it's, it's never been the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that, I mean, you know, and the dude's only 31, so he should be fine, but I'm, I'm thinking he, he might be one of those guys that gets traded and finds new life somewhere else. But I mean, look at, you know, Greg Holland. Um, I'm trying to think there's been a handful of guys that, I mean, Kimbrell, you know, uh, that were fantastic closers and then they they no longer match up to what they used to be. So I think he might be one of those guys. Well, um, and, and the other pitcher I want to mention is uh, Domingo Herman, um, who was – it looks like he's done for the year while they still process his domestic violence case. How do you think that affects the Yankees going forward? Um, I don't – I really don't think it will affect them that much. Uh, they have a team of all-stars that is, if that team fires on all cylinders and are all healthy, you know, they're going to be very hard to beat. I think the one thing that would beat them would be the Yankees all, I mean, sorry, the Astros all-star team of pitching, you know, the Astros have like three Cy Young, you know, like you're only fighting amongst yourself for the Cy Young award. I mean, Garrett Cole, 300 strikeouts in a season, you know, and then it's like, and he's still kind of overshadowed by Verlander. 
you know, so it's like, I, I, I don't see even with all the Yankees home run hitters, if they all suddenly can see the ball, hit the ball, uh, you know, I, I don't think they can beat the Astros. So I don't, I don't think that their pitching was their strong point anyway. Okay. Well, now back to the topic at hand, because like, like you were saying for you, uh, it's stressful, but I get to tune in in about an hour and watch meaningful baseball in September as um, the Cardinals and Cubs. I think they have, what, six more games together. I mean, this is really yes. is the perfect example of how baseball should go. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's fun. You know, there's three left uh, at Wrigley and three left then in St. Louis for the final three games of the season. Um and, you know, the, the Cubs are in that must-win part. Every single game really, really matters to them because they're fighting for the wild card as well. And the Brewers, you know, have a really easy schedule at the end. They can sneak right in. Uh, you know, and there is that chance that the Yankees and Cardinals – I mean, if the, uh, if the Cardinals and Cubs continue to beat up on themselves, the Brewers could sneak in and win the division still. So it's very exciting um, as the way baseball should be. And then you throw in the fact that these guys hate each other the fans hate each other. Um, you know, there's very few players I hate and pretty much every one of them is on the Cubs. Um, <laughs> did, did you see the thing where Kyle Schwarber got mad at the Reds pitcher for celebrating a strikeout? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, and Schwarber is one of the worst for bat flips and throw, you know, it's like, what? You, and, and I don't get getting mad either. You know why? Because there's a way you shut him up. So next time you hit a home run off of him, like exactly sports has that opportunity. It's not Facebook. Like you can't go punch the guy on Facebook. for, for <laughs> Right. A jerk. And, and the guy did like one fist pump. It wasn't like he pointed at the dugout was you know, screaming, you know, like it was just, he was happy. He got that strikeout. And then, you know, as Schwarber's a punk, every time he made a mistake in the Cubs game last night, I, I cheered. Yeah, it, I hate that guy from the 2015 series. Ever since then, I've hated him. But I, but I, for some reason, I well, I guess it's not even for some reason. Like, I, I've always had a respect of the Cardinals, and even back the the National League Central days, hated the Cubs. And I feel the way about the Rangers that you feel about the Cubs. Like sometimes I think I like ISIS more than the Rangers. <laughs> I think it right. is, ISIS has a point of view. I mean, right? Yeah, whether I agree or not is is immaterial. Um, yeah. So, well, you know, I used to I used to date a girl when I was in college who was a Cubs fan and we broke up because of the Cardinals Cubs. That was legitimately uh, we broke up after McGuire beat Sosa in the home run chase. We broke up. <laughs> so it's like it's that, you know, it's that serious. <laughs> that's amazing. That's a, that's a documentary. Ken Burns needs to make that story. <laughs> right. You know, that should be chapter the 12th inning of his baseball series. Exactly. Um, Dodgers, I mean, I, I definitely – I don't want to get too heavy into playoffs, but um, it, it seems like Atlanta has a lot of momentum going into these playoffs that maybe could be – I honestly feel like against either the Cardinals or the Braves, the Dodgers are going to have a lot of problems. I don't I – don't, I think this is the worst Dodgers team of the three years. I agree. Uh, when the – for the Cardinals anyway, when the Dodgers were in town, granted it was back in their losing streak, they played horribly – and the Cardinals beat themselves uh, at this this last game they played last month against the Dodgers. So I think that the Dodgers are, you know, they're not playing well. I think the Braves beat the Cardinals, and I think the Braves beat the Dodgers. Okay. Well, like I said, we'll, we'll dive all into that. Um, I think the only thing that I'm worried about, because you and I are both filmmakers and writers, and is there a more um, 
fitting way for a screenplay to end than Dallas Keuchel maybe beating the Astros in the World Series. Like, it can't happen, right? It, it, yeah, yeah, it can't. I mean, that would be like the villain coming back in the second Bond movie and then winning. You know what I mean? It's like, did Blofeld get to win later? No, you know, he got beat every time. I think that's what it is. Well, well, I, 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 I hope that you're right. So, yeah, we will be back on. We're going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to be back on in about nine days to preview the playoffs. I fully expect you to be, um, if you don't have it already, getting ready to receive your National League Central Championship gear. That was my pick from the beginning, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> See, I, I always uh, I always wait to buy the gear because I want to get the gear of the furthest place. <laughs> so, like, if you know, when when the Cardinals win the Central, but if they lose the National League, then I get a Central shirt because you know I just I it's it's worthless to have a Central shirt if they win the World Series. It doesn't matter. So it, I wait to see how it all plays out. Normally, that's a hundred percent how I am. Like, uh, except that twenty seventeen for 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 me because it one had it been so long since they'd won anything. So. I, Agreed. It, yeah, that. And nobody thought they were going to win the World Series, other than that Sports Illustrated guy from four years out. So I got it, and then I really liked the the AL championship shirt. But but dude, when they won the World Series, I was drunk, crying, <laughs> and spent three hundred and fifty dollars on MLB.com that I don't even remember until it started to arrive at my house. Yeah, I, I, I get it completely. Trust me, I do. <laughs> All right, well, good luck tonight. We will be watching. I will be uh, rocking some form of Cardinal stuff, and then I will see you in about a week. It's going to be awesome. On deck, the Let's Get To Interview of the Week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. So we're excited to welcome back to Let's Get To, Mr. Benjamin Hill. He is our Let's Get To Person of the Year. Um Ben, how's it going? And it looks like you had a good and busy season. Uh, yeah, um, as I always do, pretty much. Uh, you know, the minor league regular season is only five months long. Uh, it seems longer, but you know, you got to pack as much into it as you can. And uh, you know, I made a career of doing that. But this is the first season in which someone's uh, named me the Person of the Year in any context. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, it's honestly well earned. Um, we, as we've been building our show, I've been sharing all your articles, and I think. Uh, I think you're doing a lot to raise a real awareness to what what the good things that this sport's doing beyond just the bare bones part of developing Major League Baseball talent. And, you know, you get articles. I don't know if you saw the article that 538 put out about whether we really even need minor league baseball. So I think you doing your work is a good counterpoint to why we do. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, obviously, I saw that article and I understand, uh, you know, some of the larger points they're trying to make about how, you know, farm systems you know, will not always be exactly the same as we know them now, the same way that they are now wasn't the same they were 50 years ago. But none of that negates uh, how important minor league baseball is and will continue to be, you know, for the communities they in which they operate. And, and uh, what a great, you know, breeding ground, if you will, they are for establishing baseball fans um, all over the country. So, uh, you know, do we need minor league baseball? I mean, I think for a lot of reasons, yes, we do. Yeah, I give a, I, I actually do give 538 a bit of a pass because their their focus is they're a statistical website. So they're they're going to not un, almost intentionally not focus on the idea of that could be a future major leaguers first ex, exposure to the sport in the first place. So things like that, that like you're talking about, they're definitely that's not their bread and butter to talk about anyway. So it made good fodder on our show because we had like four or five people send me the link and I was like, OK, cool, we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you, you again, uh, 
I want I want to kind of go through a couple of things, but you know, you had talked about how your sort of focus on minor league baseball might change once you had reached the every park status. And so did you find that you covered 2019 any differently than you did 18? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I did somewhat. Um, I started traveling in 2010, uh, exploring America through minor league baseball, you know, highlighting the how the teams operate and the fan experience and that kind of thing. And, you know, one year to the next to the next, I kind of just made up a, a new job essentially. And then as I approached 2018, it was, it wasn't something I had worked for, you know, specifically at first, cause I didn't really know what I was doing, but as I entered 2018, it was like, here it is. I can finally get to every park. And I had done that through the years by being kind of manic with my road trips, uh, because it just seemed so improbable. I was trying, I was getting to do what I was doing, exploring these parks that I had to make the most of my time and, uh, you know, limited, you know, often limited budget. So if I was going to a region, I just had to hit as many teams as I could, because who knows when, you know, when I would get back. And so in, for a lot of years, when I traveled, it was seven teams in seven days, 10 teams in 10 days. Um, I became very used to teams telling me, ah, you should have been here yesterday or wish you had been here Saturday, you know, as I'm rolling through on some dead Tuesday or something. Um, so all of this to answer your question, this is a rambling way to say that once, you know, over all these years of traveling and doing these trips, once I finally completed last season by saying, okay, I did it. I've been to every active affiliated ballpark, uh, you know, in addition to quite a few that are no longer active. Uh, I entered this season saying, okay, maybe I don't have to visit 25 or 30 teams in such a manic fashion. Uh, slow it down a little bit, spend more time in each location. And that's what I did. I was in, uh, with a couple exceptions, I was everywhere I visited. I was there at least two nights, all the new ballparks. I was there for three nights. And by my standards, that represented very much an extended stay and I had more time to kind of settle in and uh, not just show up and leave and hope for the best. Yeah. It's funny. Again, even like with us doing our show, um, I ended up with a random Thursday off and did three games in one day. So I did Gwinnett, the Atlanta Braves and Chattanooga all in one day. And for as much as that was cool to have done that, I feel like I actually didn't see anything. Like I didn't experience any part of it because I just checked the box off as far as being there. Absolutely. And I've, I've done that so many times through the years. I'll, I'll visit a place I'd never been. And in some cases haven't been to since. And, uh, people will say, Oh, how was it? Or did you explore the downtown? Did you go to this famous restaurant? And it's just like, nah, I rolled into the parking lot at five 30, saw the game, checked into a hotel, you know, located among a bunch of homogenous strip malls and chain stores and whatever have you, and then left for the next place the next morning. It's kind of depressing. It hasn't always been like that. But, uh, you know, as you just said, with your experience, it kind of can start to feel like that if you don't give yourself enough time. You're just just passing through and don't really get a chance to see, to really get a a better sense of the team, let alone uh, the larger community in which it operates. Absolutely. And like you're saying, your, your goal was to see America. Our goal is supposed to be about the fan experience and that cultural thing. But so I was, you know, we have been reading and and sharing all of your stories uh, since the start season started. What were some of the things that kind of stick with you as, as high points for this year? Some of the, the stories you, you covered. Well, I mean, I I think uh, first and foremost, you know, as I mentioned, I, after visiting all the ballparks by the end of 2018, uh, going to the three new ones was very much a focus. So I certainly think uh, 
the material I got from those new ballparks as well as the experience for ones that stood out, uh, Fayetteville, Fayetteville Woodpeckers at Segra Stadium. I, I went there first and uh, Amarillo Sod Poodles at their ballpark, uh, Hodgetown. And then later into July, Las Vegas ballpark, you know, home of the rebranded Aviators. Uh, all those places stood out to me because they were new and it was something new to explore. I found I think Amarillo in particular to be a pretty fascinating place. And I think I got a lot of my best material uh, of all the places from Amarillo. And, you know, when I was there, people kept saying, oh, what do you like best about the stadium? And I liked the stadium, Uh, but I've been to a lot of stadiums. So I've seen high def scoreboards and I've seen bars in left field and I've seen, you know, great you know, second level club areas that unfortunately move the press box, you know, down the baselines. And, uh, I've seen those things, but what I hadn't seen in it, uh, that I saw in Amarillo, or at least not the extent that I saw it in Amarillo, was just how into it the fans were and just how much they embraced having a minor league team and the pride they had in having a minor league team. And there was just an energy there that I've rarely seen uh, at a minor league baseball stadium, and they really kept it up all year. So I got a lot of great fan profiles out of that, really enjoyed getting to meet a lot of people there, and you know, couldn't help – I'm a neutral observer. I cover the industry. I cover all of minor league baseball, but I couldn't help kind of rooting for the sod poodles to win the Texas league championship, which they did because I was thinking to myself, what fan base in all of minor league baseball will care more right now about their team winning. And I think it's Amarillo. They're just, you know, they're, they're, they've had a honeymoon period with this team. And uh, if you saw some videos from them, during the Texas League finals and the the atmosphere at the stadium, it was it was really remarkable. It was. We actually have the guys from the Sod Pod, the unofficial official Amarillo Sod Poodles podcast, on this show talking about that very thing. I, I felt the same way, um, and I and I think it's interesting following that. You know, because at, at first the name wasn't greeted with universal love and adoration, and then it became a really quick where the city fell in love with the team and. And like like you said, one of the best fan base going experiences even we had when we did it. And I will say this. I thought one of the coolest things that they did from a purely like in-game experience was because they have all those LEDs, the light blinking during a home run. I'd never seen that and thought that was super cool. Yeah, that is a new thing. I think any new ballpark, we're going to see that way more often than not. I didn't even hear of it or I hadn't heard of such a thing until just last season, 2018. Remember the new ballpark in Augusta uh, had it. And I was like, what? (laughs) You know, it's kind of crazy that you can customize the light shows and, you know, have celebratory light displays in game. Uh, But I think that's definitely something that, uh, you know, just like anything that's new and awesome, it'll remain awesome, hopefully, but pretty soon we'll just be like, oh yeah, that's what happens. That's a, that, that is that other thing that happens. Um, yeah. One of the profiles that you did that I thought was really, really touching uh, was the Jack, the Jacksonville jumbo strip storyline where the, the, the little boy with cancer and his dad getting to watch be basically be the only two fans for the first five innings. That, that was just, again, minor league baseball at its best right there. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I don't get to cover I used to cover promotions so obsessively, weekly columns, just as much as I could fit into a column. And I still will always cover that world as long as I'm doing this job. But now I have to really pick and choose uh, through the course of my own travels and everything else I'm doing, what uh, what promotions I cover. And that was one that when I saw the description, really before the season started on the promo schedule, uh, Jumbo Shrimp or, you know, or one of the best teams promotionally. Uh, I saw that one, made a note of it, and then was fortunately uh, in town 
town, not in Jacksonville, but here in New York City, and able to just pursue that uh, as something to write about. The team, if you really have followed minor league baseball for a long time, one of the most famous, often referenced promotions was when the Charleston River Dogs had nobody night. And it was just one of those goofy, irreverent things where they literally did not allow anyone in the stadium until the game became official. And so the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp took that basic concept but gave it a whole nother layer that took it from kind of zany and irreverent to really impactful and touching by letting this father and son as being the only two fans and giving them – putting all the usual game day uh, things that the team does, the between any contests and the food. They they kept the ballpark fully staffed and – they did everything they do normally, but just for these two people in the stands and, you know, really making a dream come true. Meanwhile, fans who wanted to see the game, you know, had a, they, they staged a party outside in the outfield and then they were allowed in once the game became official. But, you know, I'm preparing to go to the, uh, well, it's now called the Innovator Summit. It used to be called the Promotional Seminar, a uh, end of season industry event in which teams share ideas. And I expect promotions like that, like the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, you know, only allowing two people in the park for a really good cause. I can't help but think that's the sort of idea that will get talked about a lot and that we will start to see uh, on more and more promo schedules going forward because that's what we see happen in this industry, obviously. If an, an idea works somewhere, it will probably be adapted elsewhere and uh, it'll spread. So now that the, the affiliated minor league baseball season is over, we had, we had some really exciting playoffs, including like we talked about Amarillo getting off the deck and, and, and I mean – Grand Slam do really put them ahead. Very exciting. But now what do you do in the offseason? Do you get some time off? Do you get to be a baseball fan for the last couple of weeks? Or how does this work for you? Yeah, it's a strange time of year. The last official game was Tuesday, the AAA National Championship game. Um, you know, Whenever it all ends, I feel like, ooh, that should be it. I just sort of want to run away and hide for a little while. But as I said, I'll be in El Paso. Um all next week for this industry event. And usually the month of October, I've still got between doing year end recap and look backs and kind of putting a bow on the season. Uh, in addition to that, I still have a decent amount of road trip material in my queue. Uh, some food related designated eater posts, some odds and ends, uh, that I just wasn't quite able to get to during the season. So I think, uh, yeah, I'll be following the MLB playoffs and just trying to be a baseball fan to the extent I can. I'm a Phillies fan, and right now their playoff odds are about you know 0.5 percent, so I'm going to cling to that right now. Uh, <laughs> but you know, so through October, I'll be a baseball fan on that level. Uh, but also, there'll be a lot more to write about uh, from leftovers from my road trips this season, and as I said, looking back and and uh, and then on top of all that. It becomes rebranding season and, you know, we will start to see the new logo, the new team names and and all that kind of thing. But definitely I usually take a vacation in November and then December is the winter meetings and then things kind of fade out for the holidays. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, it's January. Now we're looking forward yet again at at another season. It's it's uh, the longer you do this, uh, the more it just starts to seem like this never ending, endlessly flowing thing. Well, you definitely are the best at it. He is Benjamin Hill. You can follow him at Ben's Biz on Twitter. He is our Let's Get To Person of the Year. We are get in, in your award will be winging its way to you very soon. Uh, I look forward to it. I will display it proudly. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on and thanks for the award. 
And now, on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. And that wraps us up for the week. It's a little sad because it does mean that the season for affiliated minor league baseball is over. Uh, We'll be hearing from a few more teams, but the fact of the matter is it's mid-September and before long, we'll be talking about the end of the Atlantic League and the end of the Major League Baseball season. But I got a glimpse of hope today when some folks were just excited about having already bought their season tickets for the Rocket City Trash Pandas. And I love that hope in baseball is already springing forward. The Arizona Fall League has started. We're going to be having winter meetings before we know it. It's spring training. And so I'm a little bummed out that it's getting close to being done and that we're going to have a season without baseball for a while. It at least does my heart good to know that the Trash Pandas and and some of the other new teams that are coming in are already starting to get excited. And that excitement is going to spread to all of us because before we know it, the sun will be out. There'll be new grass on the field. And we're back with you for a few more weeks of baseball fun. We're going to take you all the way through the World Series. So until next week, let's get to it.